Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Netflix aired a special called Sins of Our Mother featuring the Lori Vallow Daybell case. It's a three-part series. Part one was titled The 144,000. It's there where we saw Lori's journey. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. And meeting Chad and wanting to lead the 144,000. Lori and Chad believed that the end of the world was in 2020. In part two, it was called Dark Spirits. And there we saw the well-known rubric that Chad made for Lori's family history. He would rate the people light and dark, or as I call it, the hit list. And many people on this hit list were either murdered or had made an attempt on them. And interestingly, those were also the ones who had an issue with Lori. And in today's video, we're gonna tackle part three, where it gets into when the children were found and also the events that surrounded it and some interesting comments made by Janice Cox, who is Lori's mother and also by Lori's son, Colby. We also hear a couple of jail calls between Colby and Lori, which is very interesting. I'll also add information in this video of what we don't see in the episode. If you haven't seen part one and two yet, I did do the videos on that. You can see that in the description box below. So now let's get into it. Part three is called A Mother Knows. It's described as, with Lori's children missing, the investigation turns to Lori and Chad amid a frenzy and causes simmering suspicions to boil over. It opens up with Justin Lum talking about Lori getting married to Chad on the beaches of Hawaii and just said he received a whole bunch of photos of their wedding. He said, then all of a sudden I get a message in my inbox. It's a link to a folder full of, I kid you not, 666 photos. And in those photos, Chad and Lori are getting married. Now, you gotta wonder if that was deliberate. Hey, photographer, can you take 666 photos? Because 
you know, you might not remember, but Lori said about Chad, she said, if Chad is the devil, he sure is a good one. But Justin describes seeing these photos and he said, seeing Chad and Lori in all white dancing on the beach together after Tammy just died, my jaw is to the floor. Now, Lori and Chad got married on November 5th. Tammy Daybell died on October 19th. That was just 17 days before this wedded bliss wedding in Hawaii. But what they didn't show in this episode was that among those pictures that Justin Lum received, one of them had Lori in it holding her hand like a gun. She literally was doing that, I kid you not. And what's also interesting that wasn't mentioned, that Lori received her Malachite wedding rings two days before the first attempt was made on Tammy's life. Lori ordered the rings on October 2nd of 2019. And on the 4th, Chad sends his current wife at the time, Tammy, to go visit her family. He has this revelation she's gonna die soon. And by October 9th, Tammy had this attempt made on her life. That wasn't successful, but then 10 days after that, by October 19th, success, Tammy dies. And Justin Lum talked about this Malachite ring she was wearing, that she ordered it on Amazon. Now, that's not the only thing Lori ordered though, which wasn't mentioned in the show. She ordered their whole wedding attire and some other things on Charles Vallow's credit card, who Charles was Lori's fourth husband and he paid for the wedding. Now, this isn't gonna look good in court, this little timeline there. Why would a woman, namely Lori, order a ring and wedding attire for someone who is already married, not divorced, unless she was planning on marrying a widow, right? Timeline does not look good. Unless she knew there was going to be a split and that she could marry Chad. Let me know what you think about that in the comments below. Now in the special, Colby talked about finding out about this wedding and seeing Chad and Lori in Hawaii together. And he said, in Kauai of all places. Now that was where Colby and his family lived for quite some time in earlier years. He said it was so deflating to see them together and there's no trace of the kids. He questioned where they were and why aren't they behind Lori. And JJ at the time was seven and Tylee was 16. Now Tylee would have turned 20 years old just this past September and JJ would have been 10. And Tylee was killed two weeks before her 17th birthday. And back to sins of her mother, Colby starts talking about having a lot of dreams. He said, I think I dreamed about Tylee, JJ, Charles, my mom, or Chad every night. Every single time I woke up, I had this feeling deep inside of my stomach, in my spirit, that there was something wrong but they have to be safe. He said he battled with what could be happening at that time when he saw Lori and Chad in Hawaii. And he said his mom spent her whole life protecting the kids. So he had this battle of, you know, are they alive? Aren't they alive? Then it turns to Lori's bond hearing, March 6, 2020. Now this is six months after the kids were killed, but still three months before the kids were found on Chad's property. Colby does describe that day in court and he says, I'm sitting in the courtroom and it feels like a movie, like it's not real life. She walked in like a character. She's weirdly, has this weird makeup on. It looked like she, I don't even know, colored it on. Lori wore the jail makeup, obviously. It was uh, something to be seen. And he says, and she's in a jumpsuit, she's this villain. And she just looked at Brandon, she looked at Kay and Larry and just smiled at them. Why? Like, I remember just thinking, what are you doing? Like, I wanted to scream it out. What are you doing? 
Now, Lori did show up in court all smiles that day. She was also wearing a bulletproof vest underneath. But remember though, Lori believes she's a god and her, in her mind, she's doing what she's supposed to do. And that's getting rid of dark spirits. So in court, Kay and Brandon were on her hit list. They were dark. So she turns and smiles to them. And her behavior has been consistent in court. I mean, it's been amped up as of recently, it, you know, it heightened for sure, but she's always behaved this way in court. And she's behaved this way, you know, really everywhere. It's like, it's fine, everything's good, la 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 la. I did do a video on that on her last uh, hearing where she was smiling and many people, myself included, were upset at her behavior. Here in Canada, that type of behavior in a courtroom would never be tolerated, from what I've seen anyways, in my opinion. Since that fiasco happened, courts have banned cameras. Well, now everything's pushed out anyways, but you know, let's get back to the special. Kobe continues on and he says, I sat up like trying to get her attention. I just wanted her to know I was there and I just remember her connection to him seeing him, meaning Chad. And I remembered how she looked at him. You're looking at him like there's something there. And he says, like you don't know him. How have you had enough time to get comfortable enough to be in a bad situation, look at him and find comfort? She just walked by. Now imagine that you're Colby, you're 23 years old at the time and you have nothing but this made up charade clown pretty much in a courtroom and in my opinion. And Colby also goes on to talk about Chad and in the courtroom and he says, and that's when I stood up and saw him and I locked eyes with him and I was like, I just want to come punch you in the face. And I looked at him and he looked scared. I saw him cower. I just feel like I know there's something wrong with you. Now I remember that moment even still and it was super tense. And remember the kids haven't even at this point been found. Only that this dude married his mom and kids are missing. And in my last one, I in part one and two actually that I covered, I talked about Colby's wife, Kelsey, and she was spot on in what she felt about Lori for the longest time. And about Chad cowering, he's been known to run scared. He's no angel either, but like Lori said, if Chad's a devil, he's a good one. So later on that day from that court hearing, Colby calls a jail. He feels like he needs to talk to Lori after everything that went on. He says, that night I called the jail. I'm her son, I just need to talk to her. Then it goes to the recording. Colby talks to his mom and says, you know that I love you. That's why this is the hardest conversation I could ever have with anybody in my whole life. You're not the same mom that I know. You're not the one that raised me to understand Jesus. And you can hear Lori go, really, really? Colby says, I hope that you turn your heart, turn to the true Christ, so you can come back from whatever this is. I've always trusted you my whole life. I would have never thought you would have ever done something like this. And Lori pauses and says, what is it that you think I've done? Now, Lori's sitting in jail, right? And at that time she was sitting in jail, remember, for not producing the children. So when this hearing happened, the kids, again, still were not found. It'd still be another three months after this. So Lori's playing the victim here, of course. So she's playing dumb. But Colby says, I remember we had this conversation. She started bringing up Abraham and Isaac. In Abraham and Isaac, the whole entire story is that Abraham is told to sacrifice his son. He was trying to keep his faith and just to trust that God had a plan. So when he went to actually do it, 
raising the knife ready to go, God told him to stop. It was just a test of faith. Now tell me below if you think that the reason that Lori brought this story up about Abraham and Isaac is because she spared Colby from dying too. What do you think? Let me know below. Heck yeah or heck no. Colby goes on to say this about Abraham and Isaac. Why would you even say that? You know that I'm asking you every day about my siblings, but she reaffirmed it to me almost every day. Yes, they're fine. Everything's going to be fine. We hear that from Lori all the time. He says it started to build up more and more of maybe there's a thread of hope. Now, I think the whole world thought that there was going to be a thread of hope. Maybe they were in a bunker, right? Maybe. I was hoping that too, way back in the beginning. Janice Cox, Lori's mom, was on this episode again, and she says, I thought there was a chance that they could be different places, that she had asked someone to put the kids with them for a while, and so the first time that she called from jail, she said, the kids are fine. She said, you know what kind of mother I am. I would never hurt the kids. Janice says, that's what she said, and she said, they're in a very safe place. I didn't think they were missing. I thought Lori knew where they were. Lori knew where the kids were because she knew from the beginning and remember only two months after the kids went missing, she had that conversation with Melanie Gibb and said that she knew where JJ was and that he was safe and happy, yet JJ was underground. Janice goes on to say, so I felt like it's important to tell the truth about our family. She's then seen with Summer Shiflet, Lori's sister, in May of 2020, which is one month before the kids were found, and they were defending Lori and Alex. Summer says there's no way that she did anything to them. There's just no way. And Janice says, yeah, we really think she did nothing wrong. Colby, in Sins of Our Mother, addresses this. And he says, I'm really just not sure why my grandma and my aunt wanted to do interviews. I remember how dumb I thought it was to even say anything. Why are you supporting her? She's obvious there's something wrong. And I just thought that was a really bad move to try to defend her at that point. Janice in the interview states, I have faith in her as a mother that she's doing the best she knows how for her children. Now, I have been saying this in the last two episodes of this, that I think Janice, this was a pretty big pill for her to swallow. We see a big difference between May of 2020 and her defending Lori, and then these segments in Sins of Her Mother. Also, we can't forget that Janice did say that she talked to JJ in the beginning of October, but JJ would have been already gone uh, at this time the month before. But she states she talked to him on the phone on October 1st. And so I do wonder if Lori pulled one of those things. I mentioned this in the last video where Lori asked Melanie Gibb to take a picture of a random kid to make it look like it's JJ. So I'm wondering, you know, did Lori have a recording or something about JJ saying hi? Because Janice said, oh yeah, he said, hi Mimi, which they call him her Mimi. I'm, I'm just wondering how that all went down. So April Raymond was also on this episode just a teeny tiny bit. She is Lori's friend or ex-friend, I should say. And April says, it was hard for me to watch that, meaning the uh, interview with Janice. I felt like there was a lot of denial, just not even wanting to look at the reality that the children were missing. It's like I couldn't understand if it was denial or if it was damage control. What are your thoughts? Do you think denial or do you think damage control? Let me know below. Both Janice and Summer were asked if they thought she was in a cult. They both said no. Then they were asked, is it possible or did, they think that Chad brainwashed her and they said no. And Janice said, no, it's not possible. But Janice says, but they were right. 
we were wrong. I should never say I know again. I don't really know. And then she starts crying and saying, I just think that who knew it would get worse. And this is the first time we see Janice admit that she isn't sure. She doesn't really know this is different than what we've seen before, for sure. And she cried quite a bit in this special. So in part three, Justin Lum talks about the investigators looking into Lori's iCloud account and finding photos from a trip to Yellowstone Park. That was the last day that Tylee was seen alive, which was September 8th, 2019. In the special, they showed a happy picture of Tylee, JJ, and their uncle Alex. But when it first came out and what they didn't show on this special, was that the FBI put out a different photo. It was a photo of, you know, Tylee scowling almost. It wasn't a happy picture, it didn't appear to be one. So that was an interesting tidbit. But that day, Lori and her brother Alex Cox, Tylee and JJ all went together to Yellowstone in Alex's truck. But what they also didn't show was Tylee's phone pinged at Yellowstone at 1.09 p.m. that day. Later on, they stop, they grab dinner, they go back to Rexburg. I did do a video on that timeline, but at 2.42 a.m., that's when Alex's phone pings at Lori's. And he's there for almost an hour. At 3.36 a.m., he leaves Lori's apartment. And Alex's place is at the same complex as Lori's. And by 9 a.m., he leaves his apartment and heads to Chad's house. That was a Monday, and that's when Tylee was buried. So Justin Lum talked about GPS pings and how they were able to trace Alex's phone to Chad's property in September. And it just so happens to be that's when Tylee went missing and JJ went missing and it traces back to Chad's. On September 9th, Alex's phone was in the backyard for two and a half hours. And Chad texted Tammy 14 minutes after Alex left. So what they didn't talk about the special though was Alex was not only in the backyard, but Chad was home that day. And that was the day of that raccoon text to Tammy. And since it was a Monday, Tammy would be at work. She worked as a librarian at a school. So I hope this detail uh, would be included for old Chad, meaning, you know, he waited till a Monday to do this. Otherwise, Tammy would be home on the weekend. It's a theory. Now, what's interesting about that is a witness, a neighbor actually, saw bonfires on Chad's property. This was not mentioned in the special. And the neighbor across the street said, we noticed that they were having a few bonfires that were kind of out of the ordinary. They had a bonfire, a big bonfire last fall, and two or three big bonfires this spring. And as we know, Tylee was dismembered and burned. Now what they also didn't include in this special was a weird piece of info. After Tylee was buried, Alex leaves Chad's, and that's when Chad does his text about the raccoon to Tammy. But Alex got hungry and stopped off for something to eat at Del Taco. He was there for 10 minutes and then left. Do you find it weird that in a lot of these cases, the people who are alleged murderers get hungry and stop off to some, for something to eat? Find it weird. Then it pans to when the kids were actually found on June 9th of 2020. That was nine months after they were killed. We saw the little news clip on there of Nate Eaton when he was in the helicopter. 
he was covering that that day and was walking us through it. He said that the police were serving a search warrant. They taped off the backyard. There was three to four canopy tents. There was at least one canine dog as he was seeing it and multiple officers there. And then Chad decides to call Lori while all this was going down. They play the phone call and Lori st starts off saying, hey babe, and Chad says, hello, Lori, are you okay? Chad, no, they're searching the property. Lori says, are they in the house? Chad says, no, they're out in the property, they're searching. She says, okay. He says, so we'll see what transpires. Now this is the part that interests me where Lori says, what can I do for you? And Chad says, I'm feeling pretty calm. This is what I'm talking about. Chad gets almost, in my opinion, enjoyment out of these things. It's weird. I talked about that in previous videos when he's in the courtroom. We see some dupers delight in him. He has a little bit of a thrill. I've seen him look over when there's evidence and he just, he just looks like there's some sort of enjoyment. If you're picking up what I'm putting down, let me know and put heck yeah below. But it's weird. Lori says, should I try to call you later? He says, um, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, because he might not be available, right? And he's been taken away. So he has some guilty knowledge, in my opinion, in there. I've said this before, but I have this weird, because he has this duper thing going on, I have this weird feeling that you know, every day for how many months before the kids were found, he would wake up and look out the window and just stare at the yard where the kids were. And I'm not talking about being terrorized. I think there's some weird, I hate to say it, but I, I truly feel like there's some weird enjoyment. And also it was reported that while they were digging up and, and searching for these kids in the yard, that he sat there watching the whole thing from his vehicle. And at the last minute, he took off. It says here from Nate, the witnesses we spoke to said it looked like Chad Dable was driving very fast. And a man who was a witness says, I saw his car take off down the road and just seconds later, the marked police cars had their lights and sirens and floored it to go catch him. And they did. And Chad has a habit of fleeing areas. John Pryor, his lawyer, disputes that but there's been several instances where Chad actually flees on the day of the welfare check the day the kids were found and there might have been another one I feel like there was another one then it goes back to Colby where he talks about finding out from the FBI that they found remains on Chad's property Colby said I could have just died right there my body was ready to faint so then I started asking her questions is it a little skeleton is it a little person is it a teenager do you know and she didn't know and they hadn't even been able to get to that process there was a press release where they announced the children were found and there would be an autopsy conducted and still to this day the kids haven't had a burial they're being preserved and it's been three years Colby says you just try somehow, some way to rationalize and protect yourself from being hurt in that moment, but in my heart, I knew it was them. It was confirmed, obviously, that it was Tylee and JJ, but what it didn't mention in this episode was both of them were brutally, brutally killed. And the cause of death has not been released. And with Tylee being dismembered and burned, I don't know if we're ever gonna find out that conclusion unless they have other evidence they can figure it out. JJ was wrapped in plastic and he was bound with duct tape and it was over his face as well. So the way it sounds was that he was alive when this happened. So we'll see what 
comes out. These little details so need to be remembered. I just feel like sometimes the info gets lost and in this series, I mean, there is a lot of information that you have to cram in such a small little episode, but some of these details are very important. Like last episode, I brought up the fact that after Charles died the same, same day, there was a pool party at Lori's house. We can't forget these details. Now Janice is shown again and she's crying. She says, it was a horrible, awful, terrible realization. I said I knew Lori couldn't hurt her kids and I was wrong. That was a huge line in the show, a really, really big line. That was a big line for Janice to say, I said I knew Lori couldn't hurt her kids and I was wrong. Janice says those two beautiful, talented, loving, generous kids had so much to offer and so much to experience I can't think about them without crying. This episode was a tearjerker for sure. I think I, I ugly cried throughout the whole thing. Kylie's best friend was on there and she said, I was honestly like angry. It was just like I was angry that this was real. They showed another jail call between Colby and Lori. And Lori says, how are you, Bubba? And Colby says, I'm not good, mom. Lori says, I'm so sorry. Colby says, you're sorry? She says, of course I am. And it is in a very fake voice. Colby says, you're sorry. Lori again, yeah, of course I am. Are you sorry for me, he says, or are you sorry for my siblings? My brother who's seven years old is dead and my little sister who's 16 is dead. What I've seen is that you moved away. Lori actually interrupts him and she gets a little riled up and says, and you've seen it, you were there, so you saw everything that happened, huh? That's interesting. Colby says, this did not just happen, they were murdered. And the reason I'm calling you is because I can't even fathom what happened. I miss my family, mom. You can kind of hear her say, I appreciate, like it gets kind of cut off. And Lori says, I know baby, me too, so do I. Colby says, what do you mean you miss them? How can you miss them, mom? Lori says, how can I not? How can I not? They're my babies. And like I said, it was such a fake call. There was so much fakeness in Lori's voice. I seriously, it takes the cake. I mean, first off, let me rewind a little bit because when JJ was alive and they moved to Rexburg, Lori was saying all kinds of things to the neighbors like, oh, JJ's her niece's drug baby and this and that, the other thing. So she clearly doesn't miss them where she's getting married in a month and a little bit in Hawaii and, you know, not a care in the world. So yeah, you miss them. Then they get to Chad Daybell's preliminary hearing and Detective Ray Hermosillo, who I've talked about in the last episode, he took the stand and he's a detective with the Rexburg Police Department. The prosecution asked Detective Hermosillo if he ever met Chad Daybell. He says yes and talked about the welfare check on JJ and how he and Detective Hope went to Lori's house on that welfare check day and made contact with Chad and Alex. He says, I asked Mr. Daybell how he knew Lori Vallow and he stated that he only met her a couple times through Alex Cox. Meanwhile, this was the 26th of November and on the 5th they got married in Hawaii. Lie, lie, manipulate, lie. He says, I asked Mr. Daybell when's the last time he saw JJ and he stated that he saw JJ in apartment 107 in October, but JJ would be dead in September. And apartment 107 is interesting because Lori moved the same time as Alex and they had the two townhouses. I did a video on it and it's interesting to see that Lori picked the lower kind of, um, the lesser 
of the townhomes. Instead of the apartment 107, it had all these upgrades, yet she chose the one that she did. It's kind of weird. And I did a couple of different things in there that was very odd. You could check that out below or I'll have that right here. And the detective says, I asked Mr. Daybell for Lori's phone number and he stated he didn't have it. He says, Detective Hope had come back to where we were speaking. I asked again Mr. Daybell if he had Lori's phone number and at that point he gave me Lori Vallow's phone number. Then Detective Hermosillo was asked, did you ask him why he didn't give the number? And detective says, he stated that he felt like I was accusing him of something. So he's got a guilty conscience right there. And the prosecution also asked if he had contact with Lori that day. He said no, but Detective Hope did. And on the show, they actually had a clip of the actual visit, which we've heard before. And that's where Lori's telling the detective that JJ is with her friend Melanie Gibb in Arizona. And that's when I also talked in the last episode about Lori saying that the, that JJ was seeing the Frozen 2 and that's when the kids would be frozen under the ground in November. Their play on words is ridiculous, like Charles' heart attack when in fact he was shot two times in the chest. They then showed Melanie Gibb taking the stand talking about the welfare check day. That's when she said, I received a phone call from Chad Daybell from his cell phone. He said, hi, Melanie, this is Chad. The Rexburg police are going to call you. Don't pick up. He let me know that the police were over at Lori Vallow's home in Rexburg and that they were inquiring about where JJ was and that she was going to tell the police that JJ was with me. I said, JJ's not at Kay's house. He said, no. At one point, Lori told Melanie that JJ was with Kay and that Kay said she had cancer. And Melanie says, I asked him if he was nervous and he said yes. And that's when it also goes to Melanie's uh, recorded phone call. Remember, that's the one where Chad goes, hello, sweet Melanie. In the call, that's where Melanie asks about JJ and she says, I just wanted to ask you a question if you don't mind, Lori. I was wondering why you told the police why he was with me. And Lori responds and says, I just needed to use, she almost says use, and then she stops herself and says, to have somebody that, so I wouldn't have to tell them where he really was. Melanie says, you understand my concern, correct? I'm sharing what I feel for you because I know your salvation is in trouble for what you've done. Tammy dies, then your husband dies, and then he's missing. It just doesn't sound like God's plan to me. Now, and this shows in the recording that Melanie doesn't know about Tylee. But as soon as she says that, and this is... This is the pattern of Lori. This is her go-to. She says, well, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I love you so much. She tends to do that. Melanie says, I appreciate those words, but if you really loved me, you wouldn't have told the police that I had JJ with me. That's not what a friend does. I mean, you had to think of my welfare if you loved me. Then Lori starts getting a little bit angry and says, this doesn't sound like you. This sounds like you've been influenced by someone dark. I'm sorry that you're friends with all those who were against me. Joseph Smith's friends turned against him. Mel says, I'm not friends with people that are against you. Lori says, well, you're friends with Dave. We can feel Dave's influence on you. I can feel that for sure. Chad pipes in and says, he seems to be the one that's putting doubts in your mind. Then they pan to Melanie's boyfriend at the time, David Warwick. He's the one who was with Melanie. They went to Lori's place and was there the night of September 22nd, 2019. That was when JJ was last seen in his red pajamas. David was asked by Rob Wood. He says, you talked to Lori about JJ? And Dave says, I did. 
She said that he was being a zombie and climbed up on the cabinets, climbed up on top of the fridge, smashed her picture of Christ down, then climbed up onto the upper cabinets and got between the top of the cabinet and the ceiling. Now, what they didn't say in the episode was that David said while he was in court that the gist of it was that it was a load of BS. He didn't believe that was actually a true story. This is when they were leaving that morning to go back home. Now, Annie Cushing was on this episode too. That's Tylee's aunt. And she said something really interesting about JJ being a liability. She said, JJ, because of his autism, he says things on repeat. If JJ heard something or he got caught in some cycle just saying something, that would have made him a liability. I've had Annie on before, but I think this is the first time I kind of heard her say this. I could be wrong, but it makes total sense to me. What do you think? Let me know below. David says, I asked to see him. She just said that he was out of control. So she had Alex come and get him. Now David then saw JJ later on that night. He was doing a podcast with Lori and Melanie and Alex brought him home. David said he saw them that as a tender moment because he said JJ appeared to be sleeping on Alex's shoulder as he carried him and he described it as peaceful and that was the last time he saw him. Annie says, I personally believe that when Alex brought JJ in that night, the night that they were working on the podcast, I believe that JJ was dead. I do have a different opinion than Annie in this regard. I don't believe JJ was dead yet. JJ was found bound elbow to elbow and he had duct tape on his face. So I believe there was a reason why JJ was bound that way. I don't think he died earlier. I think that there's a reason why it was over his mouth. And I, I think he was alive, in my opinion. I also have shared a theory in the last couple of years about Tammy dying, JJ dying, and Tylee dying all in the middle of the night. I believe it has to do with the witching hour. I did do a video on it as well. I've done over 150 videos on the case, but I've also seen a pattern of dates surrounding when everyone died. And I may do an updated video if you're interested. Let me know below if you'd like to see this updated video. So in Sins of Our Mother, we're still at this Chad's preliminary hearing and they show an FBI agent talking about the weirdness of Chad's text and the raccoon. He brings up this copy of the messages and talks about the limb debris and the pet cemetery and Chad saying fun times. This was at 11.53 a.m. The agent said that this message caught his attention. He said, upon reading this message in which Chad appears to claim to have started a fire, shot and killed a large animal and buried it on his property, I recognized that it was sent a day after Tylee Ryan was last seen alive. And Justin said something interesting. He said, one of the biggest revelations about this case is the amount of time, effort, man hours put into finding JJ and Tylee. And then you realize they were killed within a month of moving to Idaho and were in Chad's backyard the whole time. I mean, that's pretty brazen, isn't it? Right in his backyard. Now remember though, again, Tammy was still alive when he buried those kids, but she would have been at work since the kids were buried on a weekday. So again, Chad would wake up every morning looking out in his yard, allegedly knowing that the kids were in there. Tylee killed, dismembered and buried, and JJ killed, bound and buried. Now, Detective Hermosillo talked about finding JJ and he said, once we removed some soil, observed a small child in red pajamas, red pajama shirt, red pajama pants. And Justin Lum says, the most heartbreaking image from this evidence is a picture of JJ Vallow taken from Lori's iCloud. It's taken the day of September 22nd and you can assume it's Lori's apartment. JJ was sitting on the couch with these red pajamas on. 
Now at this point, and everything we know about Chad and Lori's smart mouth and all these little quips that they like to say and how they like their play on words, I now question if Lori chose those pajamas for JJ to wear. Sleepy hero. I honestly don't doubt it. Not after we've seen burning limb debris and frozen too. What do you think? Let me know. Colby says, it's not even human to take your own two children that you're supposed to love and care for and do what they did. It breaks you in a way you've never felt. Then it showed a short clip of Lori waving her right to a preliminary hearing. She went for restorative treatment and I think she was around nine months. I think it was around that nine give or take month mark. She was restored and then her trial was supposed to be in January of 2023, but now that's put on hold again because these issues of competency are being raised again. Now we have another jail call in this episode. And Colby says, I can't tell you the level of suffering that I've had to go through and I'm talking the brink of my life because of your decisions. Lori says, well, I'm definitely sorry about that. I never meant to cause you any pain of any sort of any kind. I never wanted to in her baby voice. Colby says, well, I'm not the victim. Lori says, well, I'm sorry that you don't really fully understand the situation. So passes them off. Colby says, why weren't my siblings protected if it wasn't you? If you didn't do anything wrong, why were they murdered? Lori says, I've done everything to protect them their whole lives as you know. Colby says, yeah, but their whole lives are gone now. They were killed. You guys decided that it was spiritually your mission under the name Jesus Christ. And here comes Lori's pattern. Lori says, I love you, but you don't know. You just don't know. So she gets that accusation and it seems like when it's right, in my opinion, that's when she says, I love you and tries to diffuse it. Colby says, you don't know. You need to turn to your heart to Jesus Christ to let him save you. Lori says, you will see one day. As I speak to you right now, you will see. Now Colby gets riled up in the interview and he says, do you hear how crazy that is? That nothing's your fault. You did nothing wrong. You have no idea what happened. And sorry, you don't have a fuller, fuller understanding. He says to listen to her, actually try to flip the script is unbelievable. And I can't even imagine this. Here Colby is, lost both his siblings to murder, having to face his mom in jail and then being lied to more, of course. And Lori's still pretending like everything is okay. That's her pattern. Then the episode talked about a grand jury indicting Lori and Chad for the deaths of Tylee and JJ and Chad being charged in Tammy's death. And then Lori being charged for a conspiracy to murder Charles Vallow, her fourth husband. But what they didn't say was that Lori will face those charges after the trial's finished on, on Tylee and JJ because Charles' case is out of Arizona. Janice says, I want to be as kind to her as I can be. I don't see any reason to pile on to somebody that's done something so awful. I think whatever happens will just happen. She's in jail and I think she'll be there the rest of her life. So there is gonna be justice done. Whew. But you know what here? I'm sure you may or may not agree that this is a problem. Everyone has been kind to Lori in her life and maybe that's the problem because she's gotten away with a lot of things in her life just from what we've seen, these little things and big things she's gotten away with, but we haven't seen her entire life. So not only is she in jail, but she's facing the death penalty. Let's not forget that. And Lori needs some consequences, in my opinion. And if she's convicted, we have to remember now that she can be regarded as a serial killer, potentially. Speaking of serial killer, I actually did a video 
on a woman named Lida Southard. And she was the first female serial killer in Idaho. And this was like a hundred years ago. And the weird thing is there's some very similar traits between Lori and Lida and even her physical traits. It's honestly like a playbook, like she read it. Jana says, we did have a wonderful family before this happened. I don't know. I don't know if it's strong enough to stand this or not. We'll have to see. As the special comes to an end, Colby was shown in Hawaii. He was doing a memorial for Charles, JJ, and Tylee. Now this is where the tears start streaming. He says, we're gonna be doing a memorial for Charles and JJ and Tylee, and it's something that we've been needing for a really long time. It's to honor them and to remember them, and this is the place. I'm so grateful that this gets to happen here. Kauai was such a happy place. My brother, my sister loved being here, and I remember things we did here. And Colby was crying, and he said this to Charles, and I'm gonna try not to cry myself. He said, Charles, I just want to thank you for being my dad. I know you never deserved what happened to you, but I wouldn't have the life that I had without you. JJ, I just can't tell you how much I love you. You're the greatest little brother anybody could ever ask for, and I love you so much. Tylee, you're who made me a big brother, and I'll never forget how much I immediately fell in love with you and immediately wanted to protect you from everything in life. And I love all of you, and I'm grateful for all of you. I love you. Kelsey says, to me, it still kind of just doesn't feel real, but it's been really hard on all of us through all of this. Colby and I have tried to make Riley's life as normal as possible. We're definitely going to let her know what happened. We don't really know how yet, but she knows Tylee and JJ's faces. We have their pictures everywhere all over the house. I made Colby a blanket with their pictures on it, and it's hanging up in her playroom. And she'll walk up to it, and she'll go, Tie Tie and JJ. I think that's the main thing for us right now, showing her who they are, showing her videos, and saying their names, and really helping her remember them. Colby says, we have to live with what happened and what am I going to focus on? Am I going to focus on their death or am I going to focus on their memory and honoring them? They don't want us sitting here broken, destroyed by everything because they're gone. Colby says, I just really feel like I'm making it through because of Kelsey and Riley. If I didn't have Riley, if I didn't have my wife, I don't think I would. I probably would have just died from sadness. I have a purpose beside myself. My biggest fear is that my mom's story becomes our family story. She's not going to define anything else. I know that in my heart. And then they have an end of scene where it's uh, showing um, the cause of death for Tylee Ryan and JJ Vallow and Tammy Daybell have not been released to public, but we know Tammy was uh, of asphyxia. Lori was found competent to stand trial on April 11th. As we know now, that's changing. And Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow are scheduled to have a joint trial in 2023 in Ada County, Idaho. We know that's now been changed. And Chad's lawyer is trying to get it for October of 2023. It says prosecutors are pursuing the death penalty in both cases. I believe this will be the trial of the century. Check out my playlist on Sins of Our Mother here. And you can check out the most important videos on the Daybell case right here. I narrow down the 150 videos. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you soon.